My name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here at Mount Horeb. I want to welcome you all to worship. If this is your first time with us, we're in the midst of a, of a series that's focused on marriage called So This Is Love. I mean, the bottom line is it's easy to fall in love, but the tricky part is staying there, right? This is where it gets, gets messy. And this morning, I'm excited because my wife, Lindsay Jeffries Cunningham, is joining me this morning. You smell really good. Thank you. What, what is that? Well, you know, just an entire bottle of Stress Away Essential Oils doused on myself. Essential Oils. Mm-hmm. Any other husbands in the room? Your wives in their essential oils? <laughs> Call it the voodoo. Yeah? It's great. It smells nice. Thank Love you. it. Love it. So, um, my wife, Lindsay, is certainly way, way more than my wife. I mean, she's way more than, than just my wife. And m- many of you have maybe been in a class that she's led, uh, or you came to Feast of Faith, and you know that she, she has a lot of wisdom. And so I asked her if she'd be willing to come and sort of share some of that uh, as we share our story and a little bit of what we've learned along the way. But the first thing I got to clear up is in that video I said that we met, you know, it all began with me stalking her on Facebook. And, and that just sounds really creepy and it's not totally fair, right? It's not where it didn't really start on, start on Facebook. It actually started on MySpace. <laughs> How many of you remember MySpace? Like Tom, right? The creepy guy that was everybody's friend, Tom. Yeah, this is where, this is where it started. It was, you know, the kind of the popular social media place before Facebook. And this is Trevor and I, he preached last week with Jenna, his wife. Uh, we were student ministry interns at the time here at Mount Horb, and we lived together in a house. And a couple of the students made us MySpace profiles, right, to have, because they wanted us to, you know, kind of be hip or whatever. And one night we were sitting around the house sort of wondering, what do you do with a MySpace profile? Like, what do you do with this thing? And we found out that it had a search function and so you could put in different criteria, you know, like male, female, like where do they live, religious views, all that kind of stuff. And so we, we came up with a game. And here's how it went. The game was this. You had to pick a girl. This would be your MySpace girlfriend. And you had to write her like the cheesiest message possible, like full of just corny pickup lines. You couldn't be trying at all, like just cheesy as possible. And whoever got the girl to write back first, they won, right? I picked her. Aren't you lucky? Do you even remember that message? Vaguely. It was that good, right? <laughs> it was that good. Well, she never wrote back. Um, but fast forward about, about a year later, and Facebook now was the new popular thing. And I happened to be at a church, a new church in Columbia, and I just started getting involved there. So I was looking through their Facebook group uh, online, trying to see if I knew anybody else who was a part of the church. And I saw her, like in the group. I was like, instantly I had this kind of lump in my throat because... I had been doing uh, things up on stage during worship, like updates, announcements, whatever it was. I started thinking, oh, man, if she remembers me at all, like, she's telling everybody, that's that creepy guy who sent me a weird message on MySpace, you know? And so I friend requested her mm-hmm. and uh, kept, kept my eye on her. But I, I found out we had a lot of the same mutual friends. Like, we knew a lot of the, the same pe- people, which is interesting because she's living in Abbeville. She's from Abbeville, up in the, the upstate. And so I started asking around. I was like, you know, what's up with this Lindsay Jeffries girl and some of, some of our mutual friends? And I'm like, oh, she's great, but how do you know Lindsay Jeffries? Like, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, right? <laughs> and so she was dating this guy, whatever, and, um, <laughs> and they broke up. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, remember Facebook had, like, the infamous relationship status? Like, it's complicated, whatever that is. And so I saw her, and I, and I came home, and, and Trevor was in the living room, and I was like, Trevor, look who I found. It's my MySpace girlfriend. And... I'll be honest, let's call it like it is. She is, she's drop-dead gorgeous. I mean, whoa, hubba-hubba, right? Smoking hot. Should we keep going? Am I good? Okay. And, and Trevor's like, I bet you won't message her again. 
who won't? And so I sent her another message. And sadly, it wasn't any better than the first one. It was like, it was like, hey, I know you don't know me or anything, but like next time you're in Columbia, we should we should hang out. Right? That's great, isn't it? What were you thinking during all this? What was going through your mind? Um, honestly, my initial thoughts were, who is this creeper, and why is he sending me a message asking to come hang out with him in Columbia? <laughs> I had just got out of a six-month relationship with a guy who I knew he was not the right one for me, but I was still feeling the sting of rejection, and then here comes this creeper sending me a message, you know, asking to meet me in Columbia, and I knew this would never fly with my parents. However, I did do my research and come to find out we did have a lot of the same mutual friends. And one friend in particular, we had grown up with each other all through elementary, high school, and even college. So I sent him a message and I said, hey, who is this Nick Cunningham guy? And is he okay to hang out with? And as soon as he gave me the green light that I could hang out with him, that he wasn't some creeper, uh, I agreed to meet up with him. So when we say that we met through mutual friends, that's the truth, but Facebook played a huge role in all of that, and I still to this day need to give Mark Zuckerberg a big hug. Thank you. <laughs> so, you know, the messages, she did write me back, and the messages got longer and longer, and then somehow I managed to get her digits through Facebook, which you got, and that's impressive, right? I'm good with the keyboard, I guess. But after a couple conversations that got longer and longer, we decided to meet for coffee at the Starbucks in Greenwood. So if you're ever driving through Greenwood, Starbucks there, that's where this all began. And I'll be honest, it was that was it. Two of them met each other, it was fast. Ten months later, we were engaged. Three months later, we were living in Ohio. We were married living in Ohio, 600 miles away from all of your friends and family. Mm-hmm. So the operative word for our relationship is fast. I mean, nothing has stayed the same for very long. Right? If there's anything that we're familiar with, it's the unfamiliar. There was even this season, I kid you not, this season, not long into our marriage, where within a matter of maybe three months at the most, Three months, we moved into our first house. We moved out of a one-bedroom apartment into our first home. We had our first child. My my role at the church where we were serving it, it shifted dramatically. I went from you know like a, a part-time or a, for a, a youth pastor uh, into what they called a teaching pastor, which is a really big role at this church. And I started seminary, grad school, all within like three months. I mean, some of the the biggest life stressors all happening kind of in this short window. That's what we're used to. I mean. When change comes for us, it comes big and it comes in bunches. And so we wanted to spend some time talking with you all this morning about change. Because because here's the deal. Whether you're aware of it or not, a lot of marriages struggle because they don't navigate change very well. I mean, change is difficult for all of us as individuals, but it it brings a lot of unique stresses and difficulties into a marriage relationship. I mean, the, the, the change of moving. I mean, this community is growing like crazy. We have more and more people moving here from outside. I'm sure that a lot of you in this room today, you're transplants. You moved here from somewhere else. And so you're not close to your friends. You're not close to your family. You're starting over. This can bring some unique changes and stresses into the marriage relationship or the, or the change that comes from getting a new job or maybe getting fired from your job. Or, or maybe you're at that season in life where you're moving into retirement. You're not working anymore. This is change. And, and there's a change that happens, you know, even in our extended families. Somebody gets sick. Diagnosis, somebody passes away. Right? All of this can make a marriage difficult. And of course, there's a change that happens when you have kids. Right? A lot changes when you have children. Mm-hmm. At the same time, somebody was just talking with us backstage, a lot changes after the kids move out of the house. Right? And then you as a couple have to sort of figure out how to do all this over again. But one of the reasons why so many marriages struggle 
is, is because they don't navigate change very well. But that's where we want to go this morning, is, is how do we begin, if we're going to cultivate a, a, a love that lasts, then really one of the questions we have to ask is how do we navigate change? Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, open them up there. Genesis chapter 1. So God, God is creating this, this big, beautiful world, right? I mean, and, and everything he calls, he calls it good. I think it's interesting because God creates with so much variety throughout chapter 1. Like, like when God creates trees, he doesn't just make one type of tree, right? He makes all sorts of different types of trees. Same thing with animals. It's not just one animal. It's all different types of animals. And this is interesting. This is the blessing that he speaks over creation. Look down at verse 28. Now, he's saying it specifically to human beings, but he also has said this to different parts of creation. He says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. So on the one hand, he's talking about the best part of marriage, procreation, right? Anybody? Y'all wake out there. <laughs> right? Make babies. Great news. But this is something that God injects into all of creation. He says the same thing to the trees, the animals. Be fruitful and multiply. And this is the blessing that God speaks on creation. I mean, he injects into creation this ability to produce, to be fruitful, to become something different, to grow, to change. And this is why if you were to go out in the middle of the woods and take a picture, come back six weeks later, take a picture of the exact same place. Does it look the same? No, it's different, right? Because it's been growing. It's been changing. And then tell me this. What does God call all of this change? What's he call it? Good. God calls it good. So here's the deal. Life's not static. It doesn't stay the same. But life changes. People change. And God believes that it can be good. Right? So, so much of how we deal with change really starts with how we think about change and how we feel about change. Because if you're anything like me, we spend so much of our life trying to, to stay away from change, fearing change, avoiding change. I mean, that's why we invest so much money as a culture into, like, age-defying stuff. We don't want to grow. We don't want to get old. We want to stay the same. Or how many of you have kids and you find yourself saying, I wish I could just keep things the way they are right now. Right? Don't grow up anymore. We don't like change. And but God believes... That change can be good. So, Lindsay, why don't you share a little bit about your relationship with change? Well, something you need to know about me is that I'm a creature of habit. I do not do well with change. Whether it's as simple as a new hairstyle or as life-changing as becoming a mom for the first time, I struggle with change. And so after this three- to four-month time span that Nick talked about where we just experienced one life change after another— I felt like one of those cartoon characters, you know, the one that gets smacked upside the head and they're left with their head spinning and all these birds flying around and their eyes are doing all these crazy things. I felt like that. And after the dust finally settled and I came to, what I saw scared me to death because it was not at all like I'd envisioned. Of course, my heart's desire was to be Nick's wife and to be a mom. But I'll be honest, this whole pastor's life gig was for the birds. <laughs> you know, I never really dwelt on the specifics of what my future life would look like. You know, I assumed someday I would marry the love of my life, um, hopefully have kids, possibly stay at home. Um, you know, my husband would work a nine to five job and we would live a comfortable life near family and friends. 
you can see where this is going, right? Like I said, I didn't know the specifics, but there was one thing I did know, and that was I, with certainty, did not want to be a pastor's wife. For one, it seemed like to me there were tons of expectations put on the spouses of those in ministry. You had to be out front. You had to be just as available to people as your husband or wife. I'm an introvert. That is not how I'm wired at all. And at the same time, growing up, there was a pastor and his family that uh, my family and I had grown close to. And after a period of time, some things transpired, and my family and I, we were left wounded. So we all dealt with this woundedness in different ways. But for me personally, I walked away knowing with certainty that I would never marry a pastor, and I would never become a pastor's wife. Like how that turned out, right? <laughs> and I know what you're probably thinking. Well, go on, Lindsay. I mean, you knew before you vowed to spend the rest of your life with Nick that he was planning on going back into full-time ministry. And you're right, I did. But I think at the same time, the excitement of getting to spend the rest of my life with him. Oh, just, come on. Come on. I mean, that face, right? <laughs> it, it left me not thinking clearly of where my life trajectory was headed. Now, don't get me wrong, I would say I do to him again and again, but at the same time, my life picture was not looking at all like how I'd envisioned it. You know, I started to feel my heart harden. Um, ministry, as most of you know, is not a nine-to-five job. It requires weekends and evenings through the week. And here I was, 600 miles away from family and friends, and because I didn't want to step into ministry with Nick, I started to resent the church. Um, I'll never forget this one lady who I met while we were living in Ohio. She was the mom to two of the students in our youth ministry. And she was from originally from Mississippi, which meant she was Southern. And y'all know how we Southern folks are. We do everything the right way, whether it's how we decorate our house or how we cook, we do things right. And so I felt this instant connection with her. But she took me out to lunch one day, and I'll never forget um, one of the things she said to me. You know, I was sharing with her some of my feelings and some of the emotions that I was going through, and she could totally relate because her husband's job had moved him several times. And so she looked at me and she said, Lindsay, we have to bloom where we are planted. And so that was something I took with me, and it just stuck. I mean, things didn't automatically change right then and there, but I had this sort of aha moment where I realized that if I couldn't change my circumstances, then I had to change something in me. And so, you know, to be honest, I was tired of being bitter and resentful towards ministry. I mean, the very thing that Nick had given his life to. And, you know, instead of me constantly pulling him backwards while he was trying to move forwards, I decided it was time that I put on my big girl pants and that I join him. So I did. <laughs> and, you know, my heart's desire was to walk alongside him shoulder to shoulder and to be in this with him. And I had to bloom where I was planted. I learned that even though life hadn't turned out like I thought it would, it can still be good. And let me tell you, God has been so very faithful through all the change through all the growing pains, and even through the upset in my life picture. 
And I can imagine that there are some of you out there who are feeling the same way. You know, things have not turned out like you thought they would. Maybe you don't live where you thought you would. Maybe you don't have the kind of job you thought you would, the number of kids you thought you would. But I want you to know that just because things haven't turned out like you thought they would, it doesn't mean that they can't be good. That's the word we need to hear. Because we have some folks in the room who, uh, who've been married and it didn't work. Something happened, right? They fell apart. So that didn't turn out the way you thought it would. And so sometimes we sort of embrace that despair that comes alongside of it. And, and I think the good news of the gospel is that it's never over, right? That Jesus has the last word and the final say. And so again, no matter where you find yourself, man, things may not turn out the way you thought they, they should have, right? But it doesn't mean that they can't be good. Now, for me, I struggled with change in kind of a, a different way. My, my biggest struggle with change had to do when, with when we had kids, right? That, that sort of change. I mean, newsflash, flash, when women have kids, they change. Right? I mean, yes, of course they do. Like, you're, you're carrying a human being inside of you for nine months. Like, nine months, you've got a human. Ten, ten, ten months, sorry, technically ten months. Like, when God created human beings, women were the upgrade, right? Eve is like human being 2.0. You're growing a human inside of you. Of course this is going to change you. What's funny, though, is I've heard it said that guys get married, women get married, I should say, thinking that he's going to change. But guys get married thinking she's never going to change. And then kids come along, and your wife becomes a different person. And guys don't always handle this, you know, very well. Because on the one hand, you know, childbirth is, of course, not nearly as painful for us as it is for you, right? We get that. At the same time, it's not as rewarding, though, either. Like, guys, if we're honest, I mean, sure, it's cool to look at our kids for the first time. But for me, it wasn't like the you know, Lion King moment, like Simba, ho. It was, it was more like, ugh. <laughs> It took me a while to warm up to my kids. It did. I mean, it's a miracle. It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I wasn't that guy like, oh, for a long time, you feel like you're just helping mom take care of this baked potato that cries and poops all the time. You know? <laughs> but it feels like. So it took me a while. And as, you know, as, as much as I love being a parent, and I do, I hope you know, I love being a parent, there's a big part of me that wishes our marriage could go back to the way it was before we had kids. And I'm sure there's a lot of guys in the feel the exact same way. There's some pain involved in this for us because, in a way, you feel like you're getting pushed out. Like, you don't feel like you, you matter in the same way that you used to. I mean, honestly, like, when, our, when we first got married, it was like, on our days off, get this. On our days off, we could sleep in. Like, as late as we wanted to. We could stay in our PJs all day, right? And, and we could work out. Our, our thing, before we had kids, is we worked out together. We ran. We worked out. That was great. Now... We never sleep in. My son the other day woke me up at 5 o'clock in the morning, tapping me on the head. Dad, I can't sleep. Like, what are you doing? And then trying to work out together. Man, trying to get a workout in periods is as complicated as doing our taxes, right? It's hard. And, and I, you know, we, we had a long-distance relationship the entire time we were dating throughout our engagement. So when we got married, it was like, we're living in the same house. This is awesome. And we didn't have a whole lot of time like that until a kid came along. And, and I remember coming home from work, you know, before there were kids and, and she'd be all excited to see me. She'd, like, light up. I'm so glad I was home. Now when I come home, she still lights up for a totally different reason. You know, it's like, here are the kids. Can I go finish dinner? Right? And, and this can be hard for us guys. Like, and I think women in the room, you, you need to know that, that there is some pain. And we don't always handle that pain in the most mature way as fellas. 
And if, and if we look at some of our dysfunction in the relationship and why we act certain ways, it, it, it might be tied to that. You know, and I also think I need to encourage the women. As, as important it is for you to be a good mom, it's equally as important for you to be a spouse, to be a wife. Your husband needs you and your kids need you to be a spouse. In fact, the greatest thing you can do for them is invest in your marriage. Can I get an amen on that? I just want to encourage you. But, fellas, at the same time, I had to learn a lot of that today. You know, we sort of sit around for a while wondering, when am I going to get my wife back? You know, she doesn't exist anymore. It's not going to happen. She's a different person. The dynamics in your relationship are different. So you have to learn to embrace and to love a new normal on the other side of having kids. And, and, and what I've learned is, even though it can't be like it used to be, doesn't mean it can't be good. There's that word good. Just because it can't be like it used to be doesn't mean that it can't be good. What I've discovered is this deeper level of intimacy that what we have now, right in the midst of all the crazy, all the mess of trying to be parents to three rambunctious kids. I mean, my, my favorite times now are like at night. Of course they are after the kids are in bed. You know, it's like, that's over. But all the, everybody sleeps upstairs in our house, and so like the floors are real like, creaky in certain places, so you have to like sneak around like an idiot, not trying to wake anybody up. And usually ends up, in, you know, we get, finally get in our bed, and we're talking about the day and, and laughing about stuff. Like, I love those moments. And just the other night, it kind of hit me where you just sort of step back and you see your life for what it is. You know, like, right now, our youngest child is sleeping in our closet. <laughs> like, like, I'm not kidding you. She's the lightest sleeper of all of them. Like, she senses pressure differences or something in the air. I don't know what it is. So she was sleeping out in our room, and as soon as we'd walk in, she'd wake up every single time. So I'm like, we're putting her in the closet. So she's sleeping in a pack and play in her closet. And Harry Potter slept under the stairs, and it worked out for him, right? <laughs> Some of you just, just now got that. Just <laughs> but, 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 but really what I know is, like, man, there's, like, it's crazy, but it's our crazy. You know, and it's beautiful. And somehow, like, really fighting to stay connected in the midst of all of that, and it's brought us closer. So, so close, you know. And so what I would want to say to you, you know, God looks at the world, looks at all the creation, looks at all the, the variety and the change. In the seasons, and he says it's good. So, what I want to say to you that that whether or not things have turned out the way you thought they would, or maybe things aren't the way that they used to be, it can still be good. Mm-hmm. I love what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter three. I want you to listen to verse eleven. It says that God has made everything beautiful in its time. Everything God has made is beautiful, but it has a season to it, and I love that. The trick is to stay so present to stay so involved and so engaged that you don't miss whatever season you find yourself in. But at the same time, you need to hold on to it loosely. So when it's gone, you can let it go. Mm-hmm. And then we think even for me, what's so central to all of this, you know, Peter says this, says that we've been given a new birth into a living hope. Like the resurrection of Jesus Christ has given us new birth into a living hope. So if, if, you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, like if, you, if you've made that decision, and that means that your hope is in resurrection, right? And resurrection means that death doesn't have the last word or the final say in this life or in the next, right? And, and, and death is really any sense of loss that we experience, right? Whether it's the loss of an ideal, loss of expectations, change always brings loss, always. But man, resurrection says that death, loss, doesn't have the last word or the final say. So trusting that is about you and I believing at the core of who we are first and foremost, that things are going to change. It's not going to stay this way, but our best days are never behind us. And they're never behind us. That this, even this, can be good. But what we want to do now is kind of shift gears, though, and, and 
to talk a bit about, you know, how do you practically, how do you practically stay connected as a couple, right? How do you grow together when everything around you changes and is different? What do you do? And so there are two things, I'm sure there's more than two things, but there are two things that we've found to be really helpful for us in this. And, and the first one is this, to develop a commitment and a discipline. I'm going to say that again, both of those things. A commitment and a discipline, a way of acting on this, of, of continually getting to know one another over and over and over again. And when everything around, around you is changing and when you both are constantly changing, it is so important for you all to be committed and to have a regular habit of getting to know one another. I mean, the core of a great marriage is a really great friendship. I know that's like the most cliche thing you can say, but it's true. I mean, you, you, it doesn't matter who you read, whether they're faith-based marriage experts or they're secular-based, they'll tell you the marriages that make it, the kind of love that lasts is a love that is grounded in a friendship, a great friendship. And, and the scriptures even speak in, in the Old Testament of, of the word for spouse. It's this interesting word. It's a Hebrew word, aluk. And, and it literally means special confidant or best friend. And the core of a marriage is, 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 a, is a friendship. And you see, friends know about each other. Like they know about how they're doing, what's going on in their life. Like how much do you know about your spouse? Not how, not, not how much did you know, like when you first you know, married and you, got, you, you first met. How much do you know right now? How aware are you of what's going on up here or what's going on in here? Because the thing is, we're really good at this when we first meet, aren't we? We're like so interested in them. And we actually want to be, you know, be a part of what they do. So, you know, you're, you're dating somebody and it's like, oh, man, they're, they're into running. They ask you, do you like to run? Yeah. And you've never run a day in your life, you know. And so you go buy running shoes and you do that sort of thing. Am I, am I right? Like when you first meet them, you're so captivated by this person. You want to know everything about them. You're interested in who they are. But then, however, after a while, for various reasons, we get hurt or we get consumed with our career. We get engrossed with our kids' lives. And what happens is we develop this habit of inattentiveness with our spouse. And it doesn't take long until you sort of feel like that your marriage is really just a matter of circumstance anymore. You're just two people that happen to live in the same house, taking care of the same stuff. Your business partners, am I right? Your roommates. And man, this is not a good place for us to be. So the trick is really developing this habit of, of getting to know one another, you know, over and over and over again. Because some of us, we still operate with this sort of knowledge of who our spouse was when we first got married. Newsflash, they're not that person anymore. They're different. And so what we have to do is develop this habit of really getting to know, talking about more than just your to-do lists, your schedules, your calendars, where you have to take the kids, where you got to pick them up from. Are you talking about what's going on in their head and their heart? John Wesley, founder of the Methodist movement, had this great question he used to ask people he was discipling. He'd ask them this, how is it with your soul? Are you aware of that when it comes to your spouse? Somebody just told me this past week, they, they feel like they know their friends better than they know their spouse right now. And I wonder how many of y'all can relate to that. And so carving out time to have these meaningful conversations, it is so important. John Gottman is somebody that we've come to really enjoy. He's a a research psychologist, he wrote a book called Seven Principles for Making Your Marriage Work. It's an incredible book. And the first chapter is all about this. He calls it attunement. How attuned are you to your spouse? And at the end of the chapter, he gives you all of these great exercises, things you can do. They're contests, they're games, they're a lot of fun. But he even offers these sort of open-ended questions 
that he gives the couples to, to get to know one another. And if you look in your bulletin, remember, y'all remember these, you've been doing it, your homework assignment, each week, day one, we, we straight up ripped off John Gottman, took questions from his book, and here's what we want, want you to do. Maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow, remember, if wine helps, use it, okay? But we want you to have this conversation. Listen, listen to some of these questions you, we want you to ask of one another. What is the most exciting thing happening in your life right now? Could you name that about your spouse? If you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? Or how would you like your life and our life to be different three years from now? When it comes to the future, what do you worry about most? Who do you consider your best friends or closest allies? Has that list changed recently? I love this one. What adventures would you like to have in your life right now? It's so easy for us to lose touch with this sort of stuff, isn't it? And and I think if we're going to be able to handle change, this helps so much. I mean, for instance, take the couple who just had their first kid, right? And let's say that woman's been career-driven her whole life. Right? She's wanted to work, she wanted to have a career. Well, she stayed at home with the kid for a while, and now all of a sudden she's starting to rethink that. Maybe she wants to stay at home now. And let's just imagine, we live near a lake, let's say they had this bank account where they were dumping tons of money in to go buy a boat. All of a sudden she's starting to think about college. Maybe we need to shift that money to invest. How, how that couple is able to navigate that transition is about how open they are to communicating with each other about that sort of stuff. Have they been talking about it all along the way? Or does she drop a bomb on the guy? Oh, by the way, all that money we were going to use for the boat? Nah, I just <laughs> I put it into a college savings fund. Can you imagine the conflict that happens there? I mean, how open are you are, are you are to, to each other? Like talking about this stuff on a regular basis. It's something we've had to work through. Mm-hmm. Because we don't communicate or process information the same way. We're pretty different, right, mm-hmm. when it comes to this? Oh, yeah. If you haven't noticed, Nick likes to talk. A lot. I mean, this right here is a methane. You should see him at home. He is a verbal processor, and I, on the other hand, I'm an internal processor, which means that I don't like to say anything until I know exactly what I want to say and how I want to say it, which just can create problems for us when it comes to connecting because I tend to keep it to myself because I'm worried that what I'm thinking or feeling might come off as confusing or it might hurt him. So we've had to set up these ground rules, so to speak, which involve us just getting it out. Now we refer to it as word vomiting. Um, I'm sure you could probably find a better word for that, but it's just getting it all out there, just dumping it out. And um, then working, agreeing together to sort through it and then piece it back. There's, there's got to be a certain openness you have in your relationship to be able to do this. And, and I can imagine, just based on meeting and talking with a lot of you, the idea of having these kind of conversations with your spouse is, is terrifying. Like, you know, you're, you're afraid you're going to get judged or you're not going to say it right or they're going to blow up, they're going to get angry at you or they're going to walk away. There's this fear that you can't really say how you're feeling or what you're thinking. If we're going to get anywhere, there's got to be this sense of openness there. I mean, I remember not long after we moved back. You know, we, we've been here now for about a year and a half, a little longer, coming up on two years, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember a, a few months after we had, we had moved, moved back, we were here, things got really rocky for us, like in the marriage. We, we, were, we were struggling. We got really distant from one another. And I remember even telling her one night as we were getting into bed, I said, Lindsay, I just got to tell you, I'm not happy in our marriage right now. And, you know, of course, we, we, things were hard. We weren't handling the transition well. Yeah, moving back up. She was pregnant with our third kid. 
And so she was, like, trying to make a home for everybody at the same time. She was really pregnant. And then I, I was struggling because we, we came from a place we loved. We had a great thing going in Ohio. We felt like God wanted us here. And so we moved the family down here. And I had a month off in between jobs, like in between leaving that church and starting this one where I was just sitting at the house. Fellas, what do we do when we have that much time on our hands? Like I was just going over it. Did I make the right decision? Was this the right move? I was really insecure about that. And it just caused some, some difficulties in our marriage. But here's the thing. As hard as it was for me to say that to her, here's the really cool thing. I knew I could say that to her. Like I knew I could say that. And she wasn't going to freak out. She wasn't going to lash out at me. And she wasn't afraid that I was going to bail. That we were going to do what we've always done. We were going to work it out. It has to do with sort of openness in, in our relationships. Well, when Nick asked if he could share that, um, I had mixed feelings about it. Because on the one hand, it's kind of revealing, right? But the last thing we want any of you to think is that we, all, we have it all figured out. Because we don't. You know, we struggle um, we have to work through some of the same stuff that all of you do as well. And the other part as to why I felt weird about it um, is because I'm not really sure what we did to come out of all that. It wasn't like there was this one thing we did and suddenly everything was back to normal again. But I've come to realize that that's how change and growth happen. They don't happen overnight. It's a process that we have to work through. It's like kind of like when you're driving through a mountain, you know, and you, you come into like a cloud or a fog or whatever it is. Unless it's like a freaky fog, right? There, there isn't like this moment where you suddenly drive out of it and it's clear. You know, you, you kind of, it gradually goes away. You know what I'm talking about? Like you just keep moving forward and there's less and less and eventually there's, there's no more. Like this is how change happens. And, and I, can, I can imagine, again, there's some couples in the room right now, man, you feel so far apart. You feel miles away. The thought of having these kind of meaningful conversations with you sounds awful. You don't want to do it. You've been sleeping in the same bed for weeks, months, maybe years. And maybe you're just keeping it together for the kids or whatever. So it's like this just feels, feels like too much. Here's what I want you to know is that there's not one thing you're going to do to suddenly fix that, that you can't fix it. If you commit to waking up every day and doing the hard thing, doing the hard thing, having these kind of conversations, and really depending on God to turn your hearts back towards one another. I promise you, it can happen. But it's not going to happen overnight. So the first thing that we found helpful is this commitment, discipline, this habit of getting to know one another, having meaningful conversations together on a regular basis. The second thing is this. It's a commitment to growing with one another. Man, we, we live with this conviction that we shouldn't be the same people that we were a year ago. We should be different. So there's change that we have to embrace but then there's some change that we have to incite in our life. We are called to be disciples, and that word literally means learner or student. So the fundamental posture of a disciple is a fascination with life. And Nick and I are always reading something new or listening to a different podcast, and that has become a place of connection for us. We're always sharing what the other is learning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it is a place. It's really fun to sit down and sort of talk about that. That sort of thing. But, you know, I love what Second Peter says in his, in his passage. He says, the author's talking to us, and he says, I want you to add to your faith. And he lists all these different, different virtues. And he goes on to say that if, if you progress in these virtues more and more, then you're going to have a really rich experience. And, and for a lot of us, our life with God is just, is just a one-time decision we made, made a while ago. That's not what God wants for us. And our life with God is meant to be a journey, a lifetime of transformation. And, man, we shouldn't be the same people year after year. 
And, and there are some folks in this room right now, and you earnestly want your marriage to be better. You want it to grow. You want it to change. You want it to get healthy again. But you're not willing to give up some of the dysfunctional habits and, and destructive practices that you've been doing the entire time. For some of us, we got to grow up. We got to grow up. We got to quit some of that stuff away. We got to be willing to change and to become better versions of ourselves and allow our marriage, our spouse, to, to be God's vessel that changes us. Because that's what we've discovered is it hasn't been easy, but God has really used us to, to, to develop us. I mean, you, you'd say that, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, the fact that I'm up here today in front of all of you, I can promise you this would have never happened four years ago. And the greatest gift that our marriage has been to me is how it's changed me. I mean, Nick has seen things in me that I never saw in myself. And because of that, I have started to see it and believe it too. And um, it's, I've been blown away by how God's used it. Mm -hmm. I hesitate in saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Go figure, right? You guys don't have anywhere to go. Um, I don't like reinforcing cultural stereotypes when it comes to men and women because we, we don't really fit them. Like, we read mar marriage stuff, and I'm always more like the girl, and she's more like the guy. You know, it just doesn't work. But, but here, here's a norm that I have come up against, is that more often than not, it's the women that I see that are a bit more open to the things of God. They, they want to grow. They're, they're, they're hungry for their family to become more grounded in the kingdom, to have kingdom values. And a lot of times the guy isn't standing there shoulder to shoulder. It's her thing. It's her thing. It's her thing. And, and as I talk with more guys, I, I really understand where this is coming from. There's kind of this woundedness we have for some reason. You know, I mean, these guys talk about themselves. I'm just a bum. Like, it's not, that's not who I am. I'm not that guy. It's not my thing. I don't know where we start believing that, but it's not true. We are a human being made in the image of God. And, and not only that, but the very spirit of God has been offered to you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead has been, has been offered to you in Jesus Christ. Man, that's power. You can change. You can grow. And you know what? Your family needs you to wake up. The, this church needs you to wake up. This community needs you to wake up, to step into some of that. And ladies, I want to say this to you because you, sometimes you hear women sort of say, I wish my, wish my husband would lead us, you know, spiritually speaking. And I'm with you on that. But I also want to caution you, don't think that that means he has to look like a preacher. Because on the one hand, you don't want this. <laughs> I promise you, you don't want this. But you have to learn to let him lead in the way that he's wired to lead. And so he may not be leading Bible studies all the time. But he can still be a man of God. And so see that. Celebrate that. Let him know. Like, honor him in that way. I think it can be really good. I think in the end, for us, uh, marriage has been nothing short of, like, a, an adventure. Big-time adventure. I remember going to, like, bachelor parties and stuff when all my friends were getting married. And there's kind of always this theme, right? There is this sort of underlying narrative. Like, you better live it up tonight because tomorrow your life is over, Right? And we've worked really hard to reject that way of thinking our entire marriage. Because here's the thing, as hard as it is, it's been a blast. It's been a blast. It is a big adventure to choose to, to get to know one another in the midst of the everyday, to grow together. And so we're going we're gonna to sing a final song here in a moment. And I don't know where you're at with all of this. I mean, maybe, maybe what you've been doing is, is holding on to something from the past, like maybe it's, it's the way you thought your life was going to turn out and it hasn't turned out that way. Or maybe things aren't like they used to be. 
from what you need God to do is help you let go of some of that and give you the strength to believe that it can still be good. Or maybe you're a couple in here and you're, you're who I was talking about. You, you might be sitting right next to each other, but in reality, you're miles apart, miles away. And what you need God to do is begin to turn your hearts towards one another to give you that strength to be interested again, to ask those questions. Whatever it is, I want you to take advantage of this moment. Invite God, invite the Holy Spirit to do whatever needs to be done in you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift that we have in one another. And Lord, I do pray for the couples in this room. May you soften what needs to be softened. May you open them up. May you turn their hearts back towards one another. Pray for those of us in the room who aren't married yet, that you'd begin to shape in our expectations. Help us to want what you want. Those of us who are on the other side of marriage, who are in, in divorce, Give us the courage to hope again and to believe that it can still be good. We love you so much, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.